Good morning, folks. Um, if we ever met, my name's Matthew. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, I'm really delighted that you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about some really important things. It's great to see some faces from the community I recognise. Uh, welcome to church if it's your first time here. Just add my welcome to the ones you've already heard. Um, and I'm really glad you're here today specifically. Uh, the reason is because Good Friday, what we're remembering today, is right at the middle of the Christian faith. Uh, this is where it's at as far as Christianity is concerned. Today we talk about the death of Jesus and what that meant. Uh, it's a date we've been remembering for close to 2,000 years. Um, basically, if you don't know, we're remembering that on a Friday morning in 33 AD, April 33 AD, just outside the city of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was dragged out there by a bunch of Roman soldiers and he was killed in a very unjust and a very cruel way. Now, if you're a bit foreign to Christian teaching, you might go on, you guys call it Good Friday, right? That sounds weird or just, it's just strange, right? Jesus died really cruelly and unjustly and you're remembering that and that's really important to Christianity. Well, yes, it is. Uh, we're going to get to explaining that today. Why we call it Good Friday? Why does it matter to Christians? First thing, folks, I want you to realise today what we're remembering is a real historical event. If you were at Jerusalem, most likely, 9am, April 3rd, 33 AD, outside the right gate of Jerusalem, you would have seen a guy called Jesus get nailed up on a cross. It really happened. We're talking about a historical event, and we're talking about an extremely uh, significant historical event. If you were there watching that, you would have been struck by how awful it was, but you never would have guessed just how influential it's been on everything that's come since. Uh, it's so influential, I'm not going to talk about this today, but it's so influential that I don't think you can imagine our world if Jesus didn't die on a cross. It just had that much impact on all the things in our history that have happened since. But I've been thinking about that a little bit because I've been reading this, this book. Um, come up on the slide. Yeah, it's called What If... Uh, what if is a, it's about it's, it's a bunch of very short chapters which I'm thankful for because the book's about four inches thick um, it's a collection of chapters by historians and the historians who are all sort of experts in their field and they're all writing essays chapters on what if this very significant historical event didn't happen or if it happened differently how would the world be different some things that happened a certain way uh, if it happened another way you just can't imagine the world we'd be living in today I'll give you one example so you get the point um, in the 1400s um, China had the best navy in the world. Uh, they had the best naval technology in the world. They had ships, enough ships to house 37,000 sailors. They had the best naval technology and they led expeditions over the world. They reached Madagascar, they reached Africa. There's some evidence they reached Australia in the 1400s. The Chinese did. However, Something very significant happened. Uh, China was ready to launch an age of exploration, but the Ming Dynasty emperors of China decided, you know, I don't think there's anything in this sea travel business. I don't think anything can come of it. And so they decided to forbid shipbuilding and forbid all these expeditions, and they looked inward, and Chinese history went a different way. Here's the point. If the emperor had decided the opposite thing, you know, sea travel's a really good idea. We should go exploring. Then what would have happened most likely the Chinese would have discovered America before Christ Christopher Columbus was even born. And the America you know of today wouldn't exist, most likely. It would be a Chinese country. It would have had a Chinese history. And who knows what our world would have looked like. You see how ground-shattering that is to our history. I'm not saying it would be better or worse. I have no idea, but I just can't imagine the world if Christopher Columbus didn't discover America and all the things that happened because of that particular event and how it turned out. Now, friends, the death of Jesus is a far more significant event than that. 
I want to talk to you about it more uh, personally today. The fact is, if Jesus didn't die on that cross, there wouldn't be a Christianity. The crucifixion's right in the middle of Christianity. But personally, the death of Jesus stands to change your world. It really does. It's a personal thing, though. So the difference is, if China had America and made America Chinese and so on, you'd just accept that. It would impact your world and it would just be a fact and you'd live with it. It's just the way it is. The difference with the death of Jesus is it's a real event, but to be, for it to be of any benefit to you, you need to respond to it the right way. So today I'm going to ask you to respond to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to consider carefully what Jesus is offering us because I think it makes, a, it makes the biggest difference in the world. It actually addresses, Jesus addresses, those things of life we like to ignore. We've trained ourselves to ignore them. We've inoculated our brains again to ignore them, to ignore the fact the world is not the way it should be. Gets more personal to ignore the fact that the world is not the way it should be, and partly because of me, that I'm a contributor to what's wrong with the world. The death of Jesus enables me to look that in the face and have answers and have solutions from God. But most of all, the thing we won't ever think about, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. There's your morbid thought for this morning. And I'm going to ask you to look that in the face this morning. Because what I want to say is the death of Jesus, if you respond rightly to Jesus, so changes your world that there's a hope beyond death. That death isn't the end for you. That you can look death in the face with confidence. That's the difference the death of Jesus makes. So I'm going to call you to respond to Jesus this morning and have a think about what he's offering because I think you need it. I think it's the biggest deal in the world. Let's um, just have a think about Jesus for a minute and what he was doing in those Bible readings we were talking, uh, we heard read to us. The question, what if Jesus didn't die, is really kind of a silly question. Here's why. Because it wasn't an accident. As far as Jesus was concerned, that wasn't just some tragic thing that happened. He's not a tragic victim of history. See, Jesus is God's son. That's who he introduced himself as. And as he went walking around Palestine in the, the 30s and the 20s of, of, of early uh, history over there, um, he went around healing people and he went teaching with authority and he was always in control. He came with a particular mission though. We don't have to guess what that mission was, what Jesus wants to use his power for, because he tells us. I'll put it up on the screen. It's from the Bible a little bit earlier than those bits that we, uh, we read. Um, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what his mission is. Um, he uses a term for himself, a title for himself that's a bit strange, son of man, but it's just saying, it's just the way he refers to himself, basically. It says, look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews. Um, they will mock him, insult him, and they'll spit on him, they will flog him, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. There's Jesus' mission plan. Here's what we're doing, disciples. Come with me to Jerusalem or I'm going to die. They were not impressed. That is not their idea about what their leader should be doing. Uh, but Jesus is in control here, so that means it couldn't have happened any differently. This is not an accident. This is Jesus' purpose, to go to Jerusalem and die by crucifixion. Now, what do you know about crucifixion? This is what makes it really astonishing that this is Jesus' pur- uh, purpose. Um, crucifixion, you've seen crosses around, people hanging on them, it just look like he's just hanging out, right? He's just hanging on a cross. It looks like he's having a sleep. Uh, it, we don't get the picture that they had in the first century. Crucifixion was actually the worst punishment for crime that the Romans could come up with. 
literally the worst thing they could come up with. Uh, it was horrifically painful. It lasted a very, very long time. Basically, you'd be nailed up to a post with a crossbar and uh, you'd be left there for however long it took you to die, um, usually by asphyxiation, exhaustion and injuries. It's kind of a combination of those things. We're talking about something absolutely horrific. Um, and it sent a shudder down everybody's spine when they heard about it because the Romans did it publicly at the gate of the, of, of the city so people would see and it was basically their form of terrorism. It was to knock the population into shape, say, look, we're the Romans, we're in charge, and you need to follow us, or look what happens to you. So it was a horrific thing. People hated it. And Jesus told his disciples, look, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be executed by the worst method the Romans have got, and that's my goal, that's my mission. Come along with me. He was going to be condemned as if he was a wrongdoer. Why? Well, we know Jesus did no wrong. He was sinless. In our Bible reading there, we, we heard a little bit about that. Um, if, you could, if you've got a Bible there, it'd be worth opening up on page 1058, the ones that are on the chairs. And we're going to hear about um, Jesus and we're going to see uh, some images of why he died for people. Uh, if you have a look at page 1058, 1059, if you just have that open on your lap, I think you'll find it easier to follow along if you've got a Bible there. Luke 23, verse 13. Listen again to what what happened. People are trying to get Jesus killed. Some people don't like him, obviously. Uh, Verse 13. Pilate, that's the Roman governor, he called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people of Israel. And he said to them, You brought me this man as one inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, the Jewish leader, for he has sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. That's the Romans letting people off with a warning, by the way. Um, the Romans saying you're innocent is we'll beat you up just to make sure, you know, I don't know. But letting people off with a warning look like beating them up, basically. But I found a basis for the charges against him. Jesus is innocent. And the Bible teaches that Jesus actually never did any sin at all. He's being treated very unjustly. So Jesus' um, purpose at this point, he's going to go and die cruelly as if he's the worst type of criminal. That's where we're at so far. Eventually Pilate gave in to the crowd and he ordered that Jesus would be crucified. We also hear about some other folks that aren't so innocent. In fact, they're not innocent at all. We hear about a guy called Barabbas, which is a pretty awesome name but it's uh, not good what he did. Have a look at verse 19 there. If you look at chapter 23 and look at the small numbers, you'll see verse 19. It has a thing in brackets. and just tells us about this guy, Barabbas. It says, Barabbas, a criminal there, had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. There's a guy who deserves what he's getting, right? <laughs> he's been locked up because he did stuff wrong. He did some awful stuff wrong. He led a rebellion, led to deaths. He personally killed some people in this rebellion. And so he's got crimes against him and he needs to suffer the penalty for those crimes. Now, here's what's going on. Jesus is in charge here. He's orchestrating events as he sees fit because he's the son of God. And because Jesus is in charge, what's going to happen is actually symbolic for what Jesus' death achieves for people. There was a tradition at the time that Pilate, the ruler, would occasionally release a prisoner. It was, it was just a, a tradition to try and get the population to think he liked them a bit before he'd be cruel again. You know, it's, it's just another method to keep the population under control. But Pilate could see Jesus was innocent. So he went, hey crowd, um, do you want to usually get a prisoner out of jail free card on Jesus this year? I think you should. He's innocent, right? Let's get Jesus out of, uh, let's set him free. 
And so he offers that. Have a look at verse 20. This is what, uh, what Pilate offered to him. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. You've got to be pretty riled up to yell that when you know what crucifixion is. Verse 22, for a third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they'd asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. There's two people there. One is a criminal and one is not. One definitely is not. One deserves to be punished and one does not. The man who deserves to be punished goes free, while the man who is innocent goes to be punished. There's a substitution going on. This is what Jesus' death is about at a bigger level. You see, the Bible teaches us that sinners deserve judgment. And I think you believe that. I think you believe when you see evil going on that that deserves to be punished. I know that when you look at the world and you see how horrific the world can be, you want that fixed and you think the people who did those things should be brought to account for what they did. God's son came into the world to trade places with us in our guilt. He came to die in the place of sinners who deserve punishment so our debt would be paid and we could go free. Like Barabbas, you, I'm sure, are not as bad as Barabbas, but everyone from Barabbas to person who does some sins that have far less implications for other people, Jesus died so those debts could be paid and we could go free. Jesus is a substitute for sinners. Why is that necessary? It's necessary because whenever there is wrongdoing, there is a debt to be paid. There is a debt to be paid every time somebody does something wrong. It could be all sorts of debts. If it's financial damages, there's financial debt. If it's personal reputation, there's personal reputation debt. If it's harm to a person, there's a debt of harm that's been caused. Friends, when I have, somebody wrongs me, I have two options available to me. Two options. The first one is I can rightly demand that they pay the debt themselves. After all, it's their fault and responsibility. Here's the other thing I can do, though, and there's absolutely no reason I have to do this. There's no obligation on me I have to do this, but I can forgive them. Now, if I choose to forgive somebody for the debt they have caused me, where does their debt go? It doesn't disappear. I take it on myself. I own it myself. I bear it myself so the person who wronged me doesn't have to. A bunch of years ago, a friend of mine, uh, his dad, drove luxury coaches. Uh, they were, uh, he drove a six-star coach. His dad's, this guy's retired now. Uh, he drove a six-star coach, which I didn't think existed. Maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe it was just the company's way of boasting how good their coach was, right? But it was a very, very expensive machine. It had everything you can imagine in it. I, I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Um, one day, this, this guy was driving his coach wherever, and he was hit by a car. He was hit by a P-plater who had no licence, and therefore, you're not surprised he had no insurance either. The Commodore he was in was written off. It was just obliterated. Uh, the guy was all right. Everybody was all right. I'm pleased about that. Um, but this P-plater caused $150,000 worth of damage to that coach. And he was not insured. That's a pretty tremendous debt. <laughs> I think everybody can agree that that kid that did that owns responsibility for that debt. It's his fault. He drove stupidly, he doesn't have insurance, 
he owes $150,000 to that coach company so they can fix their coach. The coach company has another option, though. And it's, ob- option to the, it's free to them. They can do it if they want, but they've got no obligation to do this at all. Here's what they could do. They could say, you know what, we'll pay it for you. We'll pay $150,000 to get our coach fixed so you don't have to pay it. We'll forgive you your debt to us. Now, I think you can agree with me, if that happened, that would be the most extraordinary act of generosity on the behalf of a coach company you've ever heard of. Doing it at their own expense. Friends, the Bible says that one day God will judge the world and give each person what they deserve. He'll call us each to account for how we've lived. That's really good and right. God's the judge and he'll do what's right and he'll bring order to his creation. That's a good thing, but it's a bad idea for us. It's a bad thing for us because God will call me to account and he'll call you to account for your accumulated debt of sin to God and how you've treated other people and treated God and treated his creation. But here's the absolutely unthinkable thing. The absolutely unthinkable thing. God could choose to pay that debt himself. He's under no obligation to do it. He can hold us to account for what we've done, and that's good and right. And yet Jesus came into the world, and he came into the world heading towards a cross, saying, I've come to pay your debts. I've come to bring you in the right with God. I've come to be your substitute, to set in and pay your debt so you can go free and have a fresh start. That's why Jesus came. That's why the cross is in the middle of Christianity. It's extraordinary, isn't it? God chose to pay that debt himself so we don't have to. Friends, one of the things that stops people becoming Christians is they don't think they need a saviour who died for their sins. They don't think they need it. It's a bit odd, really, because we live in a world that we know has a lot of evil in it. There's a lot of stuff wrong with it. Um, But we always go, the problem's out there, isn't it? It's over there, it's other people, or or better still, we'll blame blame some abstract, abstract concept that doesn't really exist. You know, any form of ism is the problem with the world. Consumerism, capitalism, materialism, yeah, that's what's wrong with the world. Of course, we've got a pretty vested interest in looking at ourselves with rose colored glasses, don't we? I know I do. I want to think highly of myself. And we're pretty biased when it comes to our own opinion of how good we are. And so we naturally qualify all our faults. We've got 18 excuses for every wrong thing we've ever done. And as time goes on, we just sort of bury those things we've done in the past in our imagination and go, oh, there were extenuating circumstances. We're okay. I don't need a saviour to die for my sins. I'm basically good, aren't I? I do wrong things, but I'm basically good. I don't really need a saviour to die for my sins. Well, God's verdict cuts through our self-deception. It really does. Friends, I'll speak personally. When I look at the cross of Jesus, I see the measure of how good I am. When I look at the cross of Jesus, it tells me that I, Matthew Payne, am so good that the only way my sins could be forgiven and my debt could be paid and I could have eternal life and be in heaven with God forever is if his dear son came and died on a cross for my sins. That is the measure of how good I am. That's what it cost God to pay my debt. That is the only way I could be saved. And so I am so thankful on Good Friday that the Son of God came into the world to die on a cross for my sins so I could be in the right with God Because when I look at the cross of Jesus, I see that I am a great sinner. But here's the wonderful flip side. 
when I look at the cross of Jesus, I see that he is a great saviour. It's true of you too. I know you've got a debt before God. I reckon if you're honest with yourself, you know that too. And today Jesus offers you a clean slate, a fresh start, complete forgiveness. That's what's good about Good Friday. It's absolutely wonderful. But wait, there's more. And it's not steak knives. Friends, God doesn't just forgive us and leave us to the power of death. Because Jesus died, he offers us a hope of eternal life in his kingdom. Now we have to be very careful what we mean by that word hope. Because we use it very differently than the Bible uses it. Um, when we talk about hope, we kind of just talk about our desires for the future. I'd really love it if this thing would happen in the future. It might, it might not. It probably won't. But, you know, I hope this will happen. For example, here's what I mean by, we mean by hope. Hope means, oh, it's my birthday next month. My wife's sitting there. I really, really hope my wife buys me Tossa de Barsi's eight-string electric guitar. I really hope she realises I really want that guitar. You know, I really, really hope she realises that it was five and a half grand. It's gone down to $4,200. I mean, that's amazing. I hope she realises that's a real deal. And gosh, I hope she lets me sell our car so I can afford that guitar. See, when I say hope, you know, I'm just saying, I wish this would happen. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But I'm not talking about something I know will happen. In fact, I'm talking about something I know won't happen. I still hope it'll happen, but it won't happen. So we use the word hope that way. I hope I win the lottery. Yeah, sure. I hope a current affair or feature high-quality journalism tonight. Yeah. It's just desires and wishful thinking. Here's the difference. When the Bible talks about hope, it is talking about a 100% certain future that's promised to us. 100% certain. It's talking about what we eagerly expect because God's promised it to us and God never lies. And so we read in our second reading about a, bunch of, a couple of criminals that were crucified alongside Jesus. These guys are real criminals. They deserve to be there. Now, it is stating the obvious, perhaps, but when you were nailed up on a Roman cross and the cross is put in the ground and you were left there to die, hope doesn't have any meaning for you anymore. Well, it does. The only thing you hope for, the only thing you desire for the future is that you would die quicker rather than slower. Uh, And we've got records of people who were let down from crucifixion after it started and they died anyway. There's no future once you've been starting to get crucified, once you've been nailed up. But it's extraordinary what happened. Verse 39, have a look there in in the Bible. It's just amazing. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man had done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's such a simple request, isn't it? Can you just please remember me? I believe who you say you are. I believe you're the son of God. Please just remember me. Nobody in that crowd would have traded places with that man. You see a man crucified and you you don't wish harm on them perhaps, but gosh, you're glad that's not you. But in the process of his death, Jesus made him the most enviable person on that hill that day. It's just astonishing. In the face of his death that would be hours away, Jesus gave him a certain future that that death could not rob him of. You will be in my kingdom. You will have eternal life. What on earth did he do to to deserve that? 
Well, well, nothing. He'd done a lot to not deserve it, actually, and that's the whole point. We don't deserve salvation. Nobody deserves salvation. How does it work? Jesus has paid our debts. He asked Jesus, can I have salvation? And Jesus said, yep. That's how it works. That's how you become a Christian. Jesus holds out eternal life to you and you take it. You trust in him. That's how you become a Christian. It's extraordinary that he could give hope to that man. And if he could give a certain hope for the future to that man, he can give a certain hope for the future to you too. Friends, today you're at uh, New Life Anglican Church. There's our logo. We call it New Life Anglican Church because Jesus offers new life. And we've got a little catch tag there at the bottom. What difference would Jesus make to your life? We like to talk about hope, community, and a fresh start. We've talked about two of those things already, haven't we? Hope, certain expectation for the future of forgiveness, of eternal life, forever with God and every good thing he offers. We talk about community. Church is just a community of God's people, people who trust Jesus. They get together. We get together here on Sundays at 10 o'clock. We read the Bible together because this is God's word to us and we want to understand Jesus better so we can keep trusting him and we can keep following him. That's basically what church is. And the reason we get together to do that is because Jesus teaches us to love each other and to serve each other. So Jesus offers community. That's what it looks like. You get together with the church community to express your commitment to Jesus and to each other. Jesus offers a fresh start. Debt paid, sins forgiven. It's a pretty astonishing offer. If you've been desensitized to it over time, just look at it again. Eternal life, a fresh start, hope for the future, community of God's people, that is a pretty staggeringly big deal that Jesus is offering you. And based on that, I think there are only two possible responses to that deal. There's two responses. There is no third response. And I'll explain why. Here's the two responses. Trust Jesus and gain eternal life today. You might be listening to me here going, okay, how do I become a Christian? That sounds awesome. Uh, I'll help you with that in a minute. Um, I'd love it if you commit to Jesus today because today, Good Friday, is a wonderful day to say yes to Jesus and no sins forgiven and know the hope of eternal life. But the only other option, I think, considering what Jesus is offering, is to investigate further. Maybe you've got questions, you're not convinced yet. How do I know this Jesus guy was even real? Like, I, I've got real questions. I want to say to you, if you've got questions that you need answered before becoming a follower of Jesus, that's a good and honest process, and I want to commend it to you, and I want to encourage you to engage in it urgently. Uh, it's really important to get these things right and to get your questions answered. Uh, perhaps you're sitting there and you've got obvious objections to Christianity. Yeah, but what about? You feel blank. <laughs> that's fine too. I've got to say, I've been studying Christianity and teachings of Jesus for a long time. I've had a lot of those questions myself, and I'm convinced there's very, very good answers to them. So don't walk away with those questions, just going, oh, I'm sure there's not an answer. I reckon there probably is. So why don't you talk to us and let us help you with finding answers? Investigate further. Uh, there's a couple of other ways you can, you can do that. You can, we've got some good books over there. If you're, you're there going, I, 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 how's Jesus historical? We've got a really good, uh, straightforward book called The Case for Christ where they talk to a bunch of historical experts about Jesus and what Jesus was on about. I think that'll help you weigh up whether Jesus is on the level or not, whether he's real or not. Um, there's a little br uh, brief pamphlet one that's just about the Gospels. They're the sort of accounts of Jesus' life, um, and that's really good as well. And that'll help you think these things through and investigate them further. But there's no third option. You're thinking, I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and walk away. <laughs> okay, I don't think that's an option. Let me tell you why I think that's not an option. Because if you heard what I said... Have you heard the magnitude of what Jesus is offering you? Jesus offers you eternal life. 
Jesus offers you a clean slate. Oh, I don't care, I'm just going to walk away. I, I, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's not an option that makes any sense, especially when there's something so big on offer. Um, friends, a few years ago, I was given a really big offer that I refused. I was offered the chance to be a millionaire. I won 750,000 euros in the mail. I stand next to my recycling bin looking at my mail. That letter did not go straight in the bin. Because 750,000 euros, 1.1 million dollars in our currency, is a pretty staggering offer. And I want to be sure that it isn't on the level before I refuse that offer. You know what I'm saying? I am not going to say no to a million bucks just because. I couldn't be bothered. I don't care, a million bucks, whatever. I researched it. I found out that, yes, this is a known identity theft group and they're trying to take you for a ride, a very nasty ride. And that's fine, I investigated it properly, and because I investigated it properly and I saw it wasn't on the level, I refused it. My fear is that a lot of people with Jesus go, oh, I'm sure it's not anything, and they just sort of refuse it. I think you'd be staggered at the amount of proof there is that Jesus is on the level with what he's offering. Please investigate it. There is a lot at stake here. Trust Jesus and gain eternal life today. Investigate it further. One other way you can investigate further is that course that Stuart talked about before, what was, uh, Jesus for the Curious. It's a wonderful way, if you're new to the teachings of Christianity, to check out who Jesus is uh, and what he offers and to ask you questions. It's a safe environment, so it's just a great way to do it. And Stuart is a really good guide through the teachings of Jesus uh, through one of the Gospels, so he'd love to do that with you and talk through your issues and questions. Friends, if you want to become a Christian today, I would love that. Here's how you do it. You do what the thief on the cross did and say, Jesus, can I have what you're offering? We're going to say it a little bit more articulately than that. Uh, here's, here's something that expresses something that's appropriate. And I'll give you the chance to pray that with me, uh, just quietly to God and, and you um, in a minute. But it says, dear God, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place on the cross. Please forgive me. Thank you for giving me a fresh start and the hope of eternal life in your kingdom. Amen. That's a great way to become a Christian. If you're a Christian already, that's a great thing to pray every day anyway because that's as true of me now as it ever was. Uh, and I still have this fresh start. I still have this eternal life and I love praying and remembering and thanking God for it. So I'm going to pray that line by line and I'd invite you, if you want to pray today, to pray it silently to yourself um, and God will hear you, I assure you. So let's pray. Dear God, I am sorry that I have sinned against you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place on the cross. Please forgive me. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. Thank you for giving me the hope of eternal life in your kingdom. Amen. If you prayed that today, for you the world has changed forever because Jesus crucified for your sins, forgiving your debts is in your world now and life will never be the same. You know a great saviour.